are now entering the Plus Full Color Podcast, where we address the issues that impact the melanated members of the rainbow community, freely sharing our lives and experiences in a world that does not see us. No shade thrown is personal, nor should it be taken as such. The following is an unsafe space for white, cisgender, heterosexuals. If there's something you don't understand, a little bit of research will go a long way. And if there are no other concerns, please sit tight and wait for your host, Joe Miner, and enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back to the Plus Full Color Podcast. This is your host, Joe Miner, and I am so, so happy to be back with you for yet another week of Plus Full Color Season 2. Um, I have been so excited to release more content, and I've just been so pleased with the response I got from last week. It seems like the folks who are listening are really, really invested in everything I'm doing. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for that. It means the world to me to see... Um, to see anybody listening to my shit and to kind of hear and learn and uh, learn about Black history, learn about me. Um, it's It's been a blast. So I'm really excited to see that. Um, and, you know, sometimes this work uh, gets difficult, but the more uh, positive response I get and the more... Um, and really for me, it's not even just about your responses. It's really for me, like this podcast actually gives me an outlet to talk about some things that are really, really important to me. And so this space will always mean the world. So anyway, enough sappy shit. We did all the sappy stuff last week. Um, this week we have a great episode for you planned. We have, um, we're going to talk about trans athletes um, because why do we have to debate the humanity of people anymore? I don't know, but we are going to, um, and we're going to always stick up for that. Um, we're always going to stick up for humans when people's humanities are on the line. So we're talking about trans athletes today. We are going to talk about the legendary mother of the house, LaVeja, Crystal LaVeja, or uh, not the mother of the house anymore, but um, the founder of the house, <laughs> Crystal LaVeja. We're going to talk about her. And today we have an old friend of mine on the podcast as a guest, my friend Vibe, aka Niamh Bali. Um, she'll be on the podcast later today, and I am so excited for y'all to hear what she has to say. Um, we got into politics, we got into community activism and advocacy, and that was such a good conversation. And just listening to her um, lights my spirit up. And so I'm really hoping that you learn from her, that you take stuff away, and... Uh, you know, more than just being encouraged and uplifted, I want you to be challenged by what she has to say because the the things that Niamra, or, or um, as she refers to herself in the internet, Vibe, um, as Vibe kind of talks about, um, the work of activism does not always feel good. It's not always exciting. It's not always something that looks sexy that you can kind of plaster on a wall somewhere. Sometimes the work of activism and advocacy is difficult, it's painstaking, and it is necessary, ultimately. And so Vibe kind of gets into all of that and it is just such a pleasure to speak with her. So I can't wait for you to listen. Um, it's going to be a blast. So this is going to be a great episode. I'm very, very excited for you to listen. And without further ado, let's get into this week's TCAP. You are now boarding the TCAP. 
On today's episode of The Teacap, we are going to talk about a really frustratingly stupid debate that keeps happening over the dignity of human beings. Yes, I am talking about the trans athlete debate. And if you're like me, this shit really reminds me of some 1960s bullshit of like, oh, can black people play sports with white people? Can women make a living? Like who, like what the fuck? world are we living in where we have to debate whether or not human beings can do things like pee and play a sport but here we are so this didn't start here but this this debate has sort of been reignited in the past few weeks um so when biden took office a few weeks ago one of the first things he did was sign an executive order and it wasn't even creating a new law it was just implementing the enforcement of a law that was already in place. So last year, the Supreme Court decided that sex discrimination should be expanded to include discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity, meaning that sex discrimination in the U.S. is now classified as uh, you can no longer discriminate um, based on sexual orientation based on gender identity, and that includes employment, and now that also includes um, athletic fields, such as, you know, obviously, like, high school, college sports, things like that. And uh, this sort of just let the TERFs free, and if you don't know what a TERF is, that is a trans-exclusionary radical feminist, so somebody who says that they believe in the empowerment and the rights of women, but yet deny that same access to trans women. And so those folks came out of, I would say out of the woodwork, but they live amongst us every single day. We see them and we hear them speak all the time. And it brought out a lot of these folks who were saying that trans people shouldn't be able to compete in sports because specifically trans women allegedly have some sort of physical advantage over their cisgender counterparts, which that, first of all, let's talk about that the idea that trans women somehow have an advantage over cisgender women in terms of physical strength, in terms of athletic. And this shit is so stupid because I was just reading from the ACLU and they're saying, um, and I agree with them, they're saying that there has not been a comprehensive study done to prove that uh, transgender women have any sort of physical advantage over cisgender women. I feel like there is this perception and you know really what this comes down to is that people denying the womanhood of trans people trans women specifically so you know when you think of sports in general right people get so excited especially football and athletic families they get so excited when they have a child and they're cisgender assumed that they're cisgender and they get so excited when their child is like 11 feet tall and they're like oh they need to play basketball because they're going to dominate and they're really excited when their girls are tall enough to play basketball or dominate in the volleyball court whatever it is people get so so excited about their cisgender children having these physical advantages over other children because they know they're going to excel in sports and they know that. Like, you go to any high school basketball game, or even, let's let's just say fucking middle school basketball. Tell me, and maybe this is just because I grew up in the inner city, but tell me how many kids you remember seeing that were over six feet tall dominating these 12-year-olds on the court. So many, because kids who are tall are encouraged to go play basketball. And they're encouraged to dominate and be that opposing force. Yet when it comes to someone who is trans, for some reason, oh, now we're concerned about physical advantages. But every fucking Sunday y'all watching football, 
you got so excited when your favorite quarterback, who is just naturally stronger and bigger than everyone else, you got so excited when that person is destroying. But as soon as that person is transgender, the conversation is different. All of a sudden, it's like, oh my God, you're a man playing this women's sport. You can't be here. And that shit needs to go. If you are going to talk about the safety and the unfairness of any sort of physical advantage, whether or not they even exist, you should also be applying that same energy to cis people who are playing sports who have physical advantages. Second of all, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the generalization of all trans women. I feel like when people are critiquing trans women for daring to go to the bathroom, daring to play sports, they always come up with this caricature of all trans women. They come up with this caricature of like, oh, well, trans women are seven feet tall and 250 pounds. Of course, they're going to destroy these girls in the court. And it's like, girl, first of all, I implore you, the folks who are saying this shit, I implore them to name even five trans people that they know in their entire life. Typically, these folks have never even met a trans person. But if you do know trans people, you do have trans friends, or if you are trans yourself, you know that not every single trans person is built the same because not every single person in general is built the same. So for you to want to ban trans women from playing sports because you may have seen a Facebook meme of this trans girl who's 6'7 and 200 however many pounds, and you're like, oh, well, that's all trans women. No, girl. There are trans women who are 4'11", who are 6'7". People come in all shapes and sizes. And even if all trans women were 6'7", the idea of banning all of them because there is some unfair advantage, I just want every girl soccer coach to remove any woman on that team who is a little bit taller, a little bit heavier, a little bit stronger than the rest of them. Because if you're not doing that, then what you care about is not fairness. What you care about is exclusion. That's what it comes down to, is that you don't understand trans people. You don't understand the trans experience. So therefore, you say, no, they shouldn't be allowed to play. It's really unfortunate that we're having this conversation in 2021. I'm not surprised at all, because people don't care about the dignity of trans and gender nonconforming people. They don't. We saw this with the trans bathroom debate, whether trans people should be allowed to use the bathroom, creating these caricatures of trans people that are sexual predators and who want to do harm to people. But we haven't seen a, really a single case of a trans person, or it's not even trans people. They're worried about cis people pretending to be trans to abuse people in bathrooms. Because if you are pretending to be another gender, you're not trans. Maybe you're a drag performer, at most, but this character that they're creating, they're not thinking of the different nuances of gender identity and gender expression. They're thinking of cis people who are pretending to be trans to abuse people, which we haven't even seen that, mama. So all these arguments, all these fears that people come up with, they're, they're just that, they're fears, they're irrational fears that are not based in actual lived experiences or lived research. I've seen a few different publications say like, oh, well, data shows that trans women do have um, an advantage over cis women. And in those studies, it's like, girl, you don't have to have a doctorate in statistics to know that the folks who are publishing these studies don't have an accurate sample size to make such a claim that every trans, like that all trans women have an advantage over cisgender women. We don't have that data. That's... 
that is data that some people are collecting, but it is not complete. And on top of that, just like the, wanting to ban trans women from sports, people don't even think of like the fact that trans men also play sports and trans men are not perceived to have a physical disadvantage or a physical advantage rather because and it what it comes down to is not respecting or not understanding the valid gender of these people because these folks still see trans men as women and they still see trans women as men and so they're like well it's just not fair because you're a man and it's like mama no these are women and they have different bodies than cis women sure but you know and even even focusing on just the bodies of trans people that is another disgusting aspect of this whole thing is that the, it, to be trans in America is to have your body ex, uh, exposed and put up for display and fetishized and attacked and brutalized and murdered all at the same time, while also trans people are also expected to constantly explain what their bodies are to people so they feel more comfortable around them. And, you know, I, I'm speaking on trans experiences, but I need to, you know, make it very clear that I am not... I'm not the grand resource. I'm not, as someone who doesn't have that experience, I am not this person who has this overwhelming wealth of knowledge of what it is to be trans. But at the same time, if you use a little bit of empathy and apply a little bit of logical reasoning, you can think about, okay, if I were to wake up trans tomorrow, what would people say to me? What would people want to know? And it all is centered around their bodies. And it's this dehumanization because when you focus on someone's body, you are not actually able to see them as a full-fledged human. And so you can talk about them in discriminatory uh, and in derogatory terms because you're not viewing that person as a human being. You're not seeing that person as a high school freshman who wants to further an athletic career because that is one of the ways that they have to keep them out of trouble. Like, even just thinking about that, thinking about the demographic, demographics of trans people and how trans people are uh, typically more likely to be in poverty, not because of their inability to work, but because of the discrimination they experience in the workplace and also at home and in churches and everywhere. So many trans people and just marginalized people in general, so many marginalized folks look to sports and dance and art and music and everything as an outlet, especially in these inner city schools. And so to deny a child that right, to find an outlet, to find their tribe, that's disgusting. You know, we obviously need to be keep, we need to continue defending trans people. And I'm not just talking about online. Like, if you have trans people that you know, you need to be showing up for them and you need to be speaking out for them, not speaking over them, but we need to amplify their voices. We need to um, just continue to make that a more normal conversation for people to have because legislation currently shows that they can't be discriminated against. That does not mean that they will not face discrimination. There are laws in place to protect black people from discrimination and look where we are. So we need to keep fighting for different freedoms. We need to keep advocating and keep um, contacting our local law enforcement, or not law enforcement, but um, our lawmakers rather. Um, we don't talk to law enforcement around here, but <laughs> well, we need to keep talking to our local lawmakers. We, keep, we need to uh, continue asking for them to uh, push transgender rights because this is serious and this is real and especially if you're gay lesbian gay bisexual and you're out there and you're just kind of like ap apathetic about trans rights and you're apathetic about the experiences that trans people have to live with you need to get your shit together 
Because without trans people, we would not have gay rights. Period. Trans people are on the front line of gay rights always. And so it's time that lesbian, gays, and bisexuals, cisgender, lesbian, gays, bisexuals, it's time that we step up and say, listen, this is not acceptable anymore. It's not fair that we have an entire community of people who fought for our rights. Meanwhile, we're fucking silent because we can get married now. That's bullshit. There are still trans youth who are homeless and being murdered and assaulted all the time. So... So if we decide to not be passionate about trans athletes, then we, tomorrow we will choose not to be to be passionate about trans artists and it will just continue. So every conversation where someone is questioning the validity of uh, the experience of a trans person, every single instance of that, we need to be stepping up and speaking out because this is not right and it's not good. Um, and if you see discrimination, just like I, personally, like if I anywhere, business, school, whatever. I'm going right to the Better Business Bureau. I'm going right to anywhere I can possibly go to report their asses. So let's just continue to do that. Um, but yeah, I just want to talk about this whole conversation because it's the, the idea that uh, people who are trans can't compete in sports. It's such an archaic, it's such an, it, it, it is something that we need to move on from. It is something that we absolutely need to move on from because we're going to look back in 20 years even and just be like, what the fuck were we doing? And I don't want to be on the wrong side of that history. So let's continue to speak up for trans people. And uh, anyway, I could go on forever, but this has been the tea cap y'all. Hey dolls. I love anyone who's invested in helping other people. That's why I love anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free. Second of all, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming platforms. And you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That means even if you have like five or six people listening to your podcast, you'll still make a little bit of coin. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place and so much more. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's Black History Month, and that means we have yet another moment of Black history to discuss with you this month. So today we are going to get into Crystala Beja. Crystala Beja was a trans Black drag queen and uh, really, we wouldn't necessarily call her an activist, but really for what she's done, I think she's deserving of that title of activist. So Crystal Abeja was a drag performer in uh, Manhattan and uh, just all around New York City in the 1960s and 70s. And she would enter these drag pageants uh, that they would have at the time. And obviously in the gay community, we experience racism and there's all sorts of issues in queer spaces already, especially spaces like this that are predominantly white. And you got to think about it, during the 1960s and 70s, these drag pageants are looking for the appearance of whiteness. So black drag queens were often expected to lighten their features with makeup or, um, you know, to tone down their blackness in an effort to appeal to 
a white majority audience. Um, you know, even so, she had won her share of titles. Even so, she got through it. But um, Crystal Abeja, she is really uh, well known from the documentary The Queen that came out in 1968. The Queen was a documentary that focused on drag pageants in New York City in the 1960s. And at the end of that movie, Crystal Abeja is, uh, you know, she's in the pageant and she's waiting to hear if she won or not. Her look is on point, her makeup on point, everything about her was beautiful and obviously elevated from the other white drag queens. And yeah, even so, um, she did not win this pageant and that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. It wasn't just the fact that she lost the pageant. It was that time and time and time again, white drag queens were being pushed uh, forward while black and other uh, drag queens of color were being ignored and being um, ridiculed. And it was just really difficult for them to even exist within their own community. So what Crystal Abeja did following this drag pageant is she left and she created her own pageant, which actually turned into ball, uh, which turned into ballroom, I mean to say. Um, and if you don't know what ballroom is, ballroom, and again, I'm not from the ballroom scene or ballroom culture. So, um, you know, if you are and you want to give me some pointers on what this culture is, let me know. But from what I've understood and what I've seen from um, ballroom scene is that it is a black inclusive, uh, Latinx inclusive, POC inclusive pageant. So it's there's drag, but there's also Vogue. There is um, all sorts of dance. There's categories like realness where people have to just serve the concept of realness, which is to look um, passable for whatever that means. So some people might do um, like butch queen realness, which would be like, um, you know, like a drag queen, like a cis man who's a drag queen and just serving real, like serving like, oh, they look like a woman. Um, I may have butchered that, but uh, nonetheless, go Google ballroom and go Google, um, specifically, you should be watching the movie Kiki. I was going to recommend Paris is Burning. I love Paris is Burning. Don't get me wrong. As a documentary, it's incredible. Um, that being said, the filmmaker of Paris is Burning um, has gotten a lot of criticism recently. So um, I definitely want to highlight the documentary Kiki, um, which is on Amazon Prime. It gives you a really good introduction to what ballroom is and um, what ballroom is to queer Black communities. But anyway, so Crystal Abeja, she did not invent Vogue. She did not invent a lot of these different things that are represented at uh, drag balls or just uh, ballroom competitions in general, but um, because of her influence, because of her deciding to leave and disregard whiteness in those spaces, she created this venue for ballroom to exist. And so, you know, her last name being La Beja, she created the legendary House of La Beja that still operates and um, there are still drag queens and uh, people who vogue and dancers and all sorts of performers in the House of La Beja still. And the House of La Beja was really instrumental in creating what we now know to be the New York City ball scene. Um, so Crystal La Beja was obviously very fundamental in these spaces and was really important to these spaces. And, you know, the the influence of someone like Crystal La Beja that carries on into today what we, you know, we see shows like RuPaul's Drag Race and we sh uh, see shows like Pose. Crystal La Beja uh, there are so many references to her and so many um, 
just callbacks to her and ballroom. You know, when you hear words like Kiki or, um, you know, you see people voguing on national TV, you know, that influence comes back to Crystal. That influence comes back to, uh, you know, without Crystal Abeja, there would be no RuPaul, for example, because RuPaul existed. Obviously, yes, RuPaul does drag and, um, you know, has branded herself as the queen of drag, but there's so much that RuPaul has taken from the New York City ball scene, New York City pageant scene. Um, there's so, and specifically from Crystal Abeja, that so many of the things that we know RuPaul for were things that were that are being emulated from folks like Crystal. Um, so you just need to know that when you're watching this modern queer television, you need to know that this started way back when during the civil rights movement, when queens like Crystal Abeja were forming their own version of civil rights to this day. And, you know, I don't know um, if Crystal Abeja has influence, but we can't, we, uh, when we look at things that are happening today, we can't even just ignore the influence of someone like Crystal Abeja. Like, for example, this past year in 2020 in Chicago, there was a, um, like a black drag queen protest, um, and they protested uh, a queen, um, a white queen who booked and kind of gathered everything for the Chicago drag scene. Um, but the the person who was really in charge of most of this was excluding black queens, um, only booking a few of them at a time and making black queen, making being a black queen its own niche and its own category. And so the black drag queens in Chicago actually stood up together, protested, and spoke out against this. And actually, now the the uh, white queen who was booking and doing all of this stuff, now she's on the outskirts of this scene because they stood up and say, no, you're not going to get to do this. And so when we see moments like that, we have to look back at people like Crystal Abeja. Because without someone like her to look up to, moments like this happening today may not happen. Moments of equality within the queer community may not happen without the influence of someone like Crystal. So we have to understand that inclusivity within the queer community um, and everything that we love about the queer community in terms of inclusion, in terms of like everyone getting a chance to be authentically themselves, we have to thank someone like Crystal for that. And we have to thank Black trans women because we can never, ever, ever forget that it was Black trans women who granted cis white LGBs their rights and who are still fighting for their own rights nonetheless. So we have to thank these Black trans women for that. And that's why I wanted to highlight Crystal Abeja today, especially with the segment I did today on um, trans athletes. I definitely want to make sure we are highlighting Black trans women during Black History Month. So um, thank you for sticking around for this Black History Month moment. And you will, uh... <laughs> what was I going to say? I think I was going to say you are released or you are free. What I don't know what I was going to say. Anyway, that was our Black History Month moment for this week. And let's get back to the rest of our programming.
And hey everybody, so I just wanted to thank the patrons over on patreon.com for all of your love and support and for helping this page, this platform, this podcast grow. So I want to thank Sophia, Kyla, Sarah, Lindsay, Anita, Jesse, Joy, and Matt. Without all of your support, I could not continue to grow this page. Like I mentioned last week, I was actually able to hire someone out to edit my audio. So starting next week, you'll be hearing some audio from that was edited by someone that's not named Joe Miner. So that'll be fun. And uh, yeah, really, it it has been um, such a learning experience on this podcast. And um, the patrons are really there watching me grow and watching me um, create something beautiful out of something that I didn't think I would ever have the opportunity to do. So um, thank you, each of you, for what you're doing and for your contributions. Um, if you are interested in joining me on Patreon or if you're interested in supporting this podcast, please consider doing so. Um, the support and the donations and the encouragement that I get from Patreon really is what allows me to continue um, educating people and continuing to um, help other people find a home within this platform. So uh, really, this is such a significant way to support a Black queer creator and subscribing to patreon is just that you are making a monthly promise to say i will support this black queer creator so if you're interested in doing that head over to patreon.com plus full color um i'll be releasing some exclusive videos more often now last week i just put out a video on um the idea of transracialism um so that is an interesting talk uh topic of conversation so if you want to listen to that go over to patreon um subscribe donate what you wish and help me create some magic anyway i love you so much let's get on with the rest of our episode And we are back on the Plus Full Color podcast, and I am so, so excited to have one of my all-time favorite people to follow on the internet. I'm not kidding. Um, I went to high school with this person, and now I've just seen them kind of become this whole, like, I, I don't know, maybe I think too highly of them, but I really don't think I do. I dead at, like, girl. But anyway, without further ado, my friend Niamar Kulavali, aka Vibe, thank you so, so much yeah. for joining me today. Oh my god thank you and that was a cute intro and like thank you for thinking i mean I, I don't think that highly of myself so i'm like very shocked and shy by that but like thank you i appreciate it i'm trying to learn how to accept things like accept compliments and stuff but yeah I, we try we all try so. yeah we all absolutely that is so <laughs> real yeah um all and especially during this pandemic all of us are just trying to figure out what the fuck is going on how do i survive <laughs> girl what's the tea right um, but you know, Nama, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I have been wanting to have you on the podcast for a minute. The podcast hasn't been around for that long, but I have been watching the work you do with journalism through um, just other creative pursuits and specifically the work that you do um, in encouraging and uplifting and supporting Black women in the Capital Region. So I'm really, really just happy that you're here and I cannot wait to get into your work and just to hear more insights from you today. It's going to be awesome. Oh, so I just wanted, uh, before we get too far into the interview, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to um, introduce yourself, give us a little bit about your background, um, tell us how you identify, and any other things that make up who you are, what you do. Uh, there's a lot of questions there, so yeah. feel free. <laughs> no, no, uh, who no. Are you? Um, okay, cool. So like, 
Omni Emerald, but you can also call me Vibe. I like to go by Vibe. Um, I currently live in Brooklyn and I'm pursuing a, um, a master's degree in social journalism. And that program in particular is something really special to me because it's trying to transform the way we do journalism in general and kind of have like a community focus. So um, like you mentioned earlier, the work that I'm doing with Black Women in the Capital Region, a lot of that is centered around that program that I'm doing at uh, the, Newmark, the Craig Newmark School of Journalism. And the reason why I wanted to focus so much on Black women and from my area in particular is because I felt like as a black woman growing a black girl growing into a woman in Schenectady things were a lot more um I noticed where systematic racism and oppression was impacting my life and because I started noticing that I was like okay so I know that there's other girls experiencing and feeling the same things too so I wanted to use my journalism to kind of highlight and showcase that because I feel like news in general doesn't really speak to the people and their needs in general so this program allowed me that the space in the room and the opportunity to start telling stories that really matter to black women in the capital region so that's kind of like what the work that I'm doing and why it's like, you know, where it's going. I'm hoping that it's gonna form into something greater because like the program is between this semester and next semester. And then by the end of the semester, I'm supposed to like really get a grapple of the community as well as getting something that um, that's like kind of tangible for the community. So that's kind of it. But yeah, just like growing up as a black girl in upstate New York was different. And I didn't realize how different it was until I left. Like I didn't, none of that stuff, like you, when you're in it, you're just like, okay, you think all these things are normal. And then you actually like read into histories that, you know, our school district was not giving to us. And you're just like, oh, so all of that was a lie and how I felt was real. And it wasn't yeah. like made up in my head. So yeah, that's kind of like where the work is like coming from and why I'm doing it. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. And what you said there about um, just noticing so many different things in retrospect, or at least just putting words behind the things that you're feeling in retrospect, right? Like, obviously, I'm not a black woman, but growing up as a biracial black gay person, uh, there are so many things like looking back, and I'm just like, stuff that I had internalized, like internalized homophobia and racism against myself. And then just also like, for, you know, just being in different communities and spaces where blackness is pitted against blackness and you grow up thinking oh well that's just those black people but then you leave and it's like oh shit that is white supremacy hi thank you for that um so it's a whole so anyway all to say adjacently or, or parallelly i don't know what you want to call that but i relate on a level that's not the same but yeah absolutely yeah um so you know you touch on so many really important things that i want to get into um before we touch into the rest of that i kind of want to get to know um a little bit more about how you decided to enter the world of independent journalism so you know obviously so much of your platform is highlighting independent journalism and you know kind of what you said there are things that we um you know, might not see on mainstream news media or, you know, different things that impact different communities that we might not get from CNN. Mm -hmm. um, so was that pretty much the catalyst for you to enter journalism or were there other reasons going on besides that? I mean, it's so funny because it's like I was talking to my friend the other day about like where I'm at with journalism in general and like where I want to be and where like where am I geared towards because I don't consider myself like an active active journalist but I know that's 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 in the arena so I manifest that yeah. um so when I first wanted to go into journalism, I wanted it to be like an entertainment journalism. I wanted to go into like pop, I was really into pop culture. I was like, had an opinion, I was talking a lot. 
Um, but then literally undergrad, I got really radicalized with just like left wing and um, socialist politics. So like just kind of with that transformation made me realize like if I'm gonna sit here and be in front of people and speak, I want it to be something like really like that really impacts and like kind of brings a new perspective that we don't usually see. So like that kind of, that, that process kind of under, um, undo me. Plus like with the Trump administration, like all that stuff that's happened, I was like, no, nah, I have to be like, independent news like this is like I'm gonna be, I mean I don't know for like how long I'm gonna be wherever or where I'm gonna be but for right now independent news and like left-wing politics are literally where I'm at and I want to like really cultivate um a space where people learn more are more educated because I think the biggest issue is that like people know how bad things are but don't have any idea of like what to do with it or 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 how to think about it. You get what I'm saying? So yeah, I hope that like the news that I try to create or the content that I do create helps people put more of a perspective on things and like helps them or like makes them look at from a different perspective and outside of like what they already know and stuff. So yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, even just following, uh, the kind of work you do, or even just following on Facebook, quite honestly, and just seeing the things you talk about, like, um, I, it seems like independent news and just plot, these smaller platforms are really important to introduce everyday people to left-wing concepts. You know, I didn't just wake up and decide like, oh, like I lean more left-wing and like, I don't even claim to be like a radical or anything like that, right. but like over years following people like yourself has really helped someone like me enter into this realm that um, can sometimes seem untouchable. Um, you know, do you feel like sometimes the conversation around left-wing politics is taken up by, um, so I guess I wanna preface this question by saying like, so the thing that has always made it difficult for me to enter into more left-wing politics and um, deconstruct some of the things I'm thinking is that, you know, you enter and you kind of see these different news outlets and it's white people discussing white issues and it's still left wing, but it's not really touching on uh, the community that I'm coming from. So um, do you experience, like, is that difficult for you to kind of navigate around or is that something that you think about often or um, uh, even hard. is that like a motivation? I mean, it's hard because I feel like, um, especially because I'm a black woman and I talk about these issues, I feel like those spaces are sometimes majority white or even if they're not white, they're from non-black people who like emulate or like uphold white supremacy. Not that, not that they're doing it on purpose, but like inherently, like, you know, right. you know what I'm saying? So it's hard because I'll be like, oh, I feel like a lot of these conversations are not kind of centered around me, but that's also a reason why I've used the internet so much as like a tool to kind of like bring in the voices that I want to hear and see. So for example, like, like a lot of the things that radicalized me was literally just listening to a lot of um, left-wing organizers who were on the grounds during um, Ferguson, during Trayvon, like all the Trayvon Martin, all of them, like I, I followed a lot of them before in the beginning. And then as I gotten older and as I, my politics has changed, I've been able to learn a lot from them kind of linking their audience or their platform out to different resources. So whether it be like collections of books, um, I'm really into listening to podcasts. Like a lot of the left wing podcasts that are out there are ran by white people. And I try to like find other voices as well. Cause there are, there's a lot ones that are people of color as well. But um, 
you know, I try to like learn as much as I can and absorb as much as I can and also recognizing that there's black, like I kind of look for black radicals to like really look up to, to understand that we as black people have a, a, a stake and have a history and have a politic when it comes to left wing politics. So like, I try to like hold on to that. And like, so anytime that I'm in a space where I might be a little bit uncomfortable because I'm probably like the only like black person, mm-hmm. you know, visibly black person, I don't like, I kind of remind myself that black people are inherently the revolutionaries in the at the, at the end of the day. So yeah. like knowing that and having that truth in me, like kind of breaks free any like anxieties that I would feel around them. Um, yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. And then, and then also, like, just, just again, just following Black people online who already share that politic and, and have really grown throughout the years to develop a politic like that, like, that has really drastically helped me as well. Yeah, totally. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of want to touch on, um, you know, the work that you're doing within the Capital Region of New York State. So, um, you know, you had mentioned earlier, um, you know, a few minutes ago that, you um, you felt connected to this area and you kind of want to bring your work to this area because of the things you've noticed in retrospect. Um, is that, you know, is that, would you say that's your primary um, motivation or what, what else keeps drawing you back to the 518? Because, you know, for someone like me, who's just kind of observing you, I'm just like, okay, work. She's in the city. This is where writers go to like do their thing. Okay. Awesome. People leave the capital region, go to the city all the time. That's a thing. And so, you know, what keeps you coming back to return to your community? I think the biggest thing that I've just been learning when adopting the politics that I've learned is that community is literally the key to everything. Like it's one thing to spew out a lot of theory online, but to really be face-to-face with people, having conversations with regular working class people, you know, being outside of the academic bubble, it allows you to really, I guess, give more grace and and have more um, nuanced thinking when we're thinking about a lot of social issues that are affecting um, certain communities. So in particular, the reason why I keep going back to Schenectady is not only, it's also, it's one, because I have my family that's still there. Like my mom still lives there. Everybody, like everybody that I live, that I love still lives in Schenectady. I also have nieces, like black little girls who are growing up in the same city that I grew up with. And I just think, I constantly think about the stuff that really brought really dark spaces or dark times in my life. And again, because now I have the language and the kind of knowledge behind everything, I see that it really wasn't me that was at fault. It was the system that created things to be that the way they are. It was like, you know, systematic that I was supposed to feel and think these ways because these systems never considered me in the first place. So when I think about how I felt and I felt, and it took me so long to like get to this point, I'm like, well, imagine if I had this knowledge and language when I was younger, because nobody would, nobody would have been able to uh, had the power to make me feel the way I felt or would have made me doubt the way I felt. Like, you know, certain teachers or people wouldn't have been able to speak to me the way they, they did if I had this like sense of knowledge and understanding of the world that we're living in and my place in the world. So I feel like that that level of knowledge is kind of really powerful, especially for black women and girls. So I'm like, all right, well, the least I can do, in my opinion, you know, is to bring my work back to where I came from and literally tap into 
those young black girls and tap into like you know bring that level of knowledge to them so they have that extra layer of armor coming through the world because regardless this is a system that we're in and you know we're all navigating it the way the best way that we can but the one thing that really helped me get through all the things that i feel like i've gotten through is understanding that like this is literally not a individual issue this is a systematic community issue and it's more up to the system and the community to change it than it has to be me not feeling or not experiencing or like whatever the things that we go through you know that is unnecessarily put and disproportionately put on black women i was like no like girls need to know that it's not them like it's really not them and they're not bugging they're not crazy you know like it's right. really not them so that was really the thing that like really pushed me just because I just kept thinking about girls like me and I know that there's nobody really speaking to that I know that like a place like it's one thing to be in New York City there's so many people who are like like not said no so many but they're you know people who are already doing the work out here there are people who already have communities you know what I mean it's better for me to like work with and talk to and interact with people who are already doing the work than trying to start something new here but why not go to a place like Schenectady that doesn't have that diverse set of perspectives like New York City does doesn't have those diverse outlets like New York City does like Schenectady doesn't have that and I think right. about how when I was a child how much I would have loved having someone like me to come into the community and be like hey like let's talk about these issues from this perspective let's let's think outside of the box let's reimagine the society that we're living in right now I feel like that would have been more developed and more pushed to like do different things. So like, um, I don't plan on going back to Skankton anytime soon, really, but sure. I wanted my work to definitely like highlight that, especially because again, I'm still very new for me personally, considering to be in the industry and, and you know, dipping into writing and content creation and just doing a lot of things. Everything is really new for me right now. Sure. So I wanted it to have a base of like home. And plus like, again, I'm like 25 now. So I'm just in a very reflective stage of trying to look at everything that happened before me. And I'm just like, you know, it's, it's better for me to like kind of work, work through those feelings as well as working through those feelings in the community that I was in. Because no totally. matter where I go, like, I can't say I lived or grew up in any other community than this. Right. So it just makes more sense to make sure that I can at least give a bit of myself to that community because it's the same community that made me. So like, yeah, that's kind of like. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. That I could literally <laughs> just spend days reflecting on that last like five, 10 minutes that of you just like talking about that. That's so much to unpack there. Um, I want to kind of touch on the last kind of some of the last thing you just said, um, just about how empowering other uh, black women and black girls with that knowledge has kind of helped you to work through um, some of your own processing and some of your own uh, political journey. Um, do you feel like, do, do you feel like this work has really been that for you? Like, do you feel like it's almost like, um, I don't want to say therapeutic because I, um, but you know, maybe it is. Do you, do you feel like it is kind of um, helpful to your spirit in that kind of way? For me personally, I definitely like not necessarily spirit, but like, um, yeah, and morale. I yeah, guess. yeah. I kind of remind myself that like, cause like I do get really still in a really dark place sometimes, and I feel still very isolated and stuff. But when I put things into perspective and I see that work that I'm doing, and I see that, and I also understand what my ancestors, my radical revolutionary ancestors had to go through and how they were isolated and how nobody really paid attention or liked or hear what, what they said. They laid the foundation for me to even be here. 
Absolutely. So like, regardless of how I might be feeling in the, you know, in the, in the immediate, I, I kind of always kind of reference back to that knowledge and reference back to th this work into realizing that like, I'm, I'm, I'm planting seeds. Like that's really what my goal and my, my, um, I guess my role in the quote unquote revolutionary liberation work, it would be planting seeds and helping people like kind of bridge them over to like more left-leaning, you know, radical thinking, more reimaginative, transformative thinking. Because like at this point, we need to like, like we need to catch up. We need to like, we need to start thinking. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, so much of what you're talking about, it, it sounds like you are putting uh, a lot of emphasis on the need and the importance of community organizing. Um, can you just kind of talk to us about that, about even um i don't need you to give us like a lesson on like what community organizing is necessarily but um what do you feel like is the importance of that role because you know you, you were talking so much about um making sure you are engaged with your community and making sure that um, you're able to lift each other up in that kind of way um for someone who is kind of like on the outsides of um just i don't want to I'm not sure if I'm using the right words, but like, you know, kind of using language that you're kind of using, like a revolutionary um, sort of politic for someone who is kind of on the outside just beginning to enter. Um, what do you feel like the importance of community organizing is? I mean, like, um, I wouldn't like I couldn't I can't completely label myself completely a community organizer in the sure. Sense. Only, only because um, I have so much respect for that name and title. And I feel like I haven't, like I've done some work, but I haven't even done like the work that I really want to be doing to like, you know, feel comfortable with giving that title. But like for, for the few spaces that I've been in, I realized that community organizing is the way that you can truly learn and have like a lived experience of the politic and the theory that you learn about. Like, for example, like the few people that I've been interacting with here in organizing spaces have really like helped me through a lot of dark times and given me the space and the and the time to kind of grow and see past like the feelings that I've been feeling at the moment, you know, and like constantly being that constant reminder, like you still have like an, a group here who wants you to be here, who wants you to learn this information, who wants you to use your voice and use your talents to like add to the movement. You know, like being able to be around people like that makes you feel a lot less crazy. Like for me personally, it makes me feel mm -hmm. a lot less crazy. It makes me feel like, okay, cool. Like I can go into a group chat with a bunch of organizers and they're all saying the same stuff that I say that people are looking at me like, oh my God, why would you say that? You know what I mean? And they are just like, yeah, they get it. You don't have to think too much. So it's like having that sense of like that community is beautiful. And then also building that, building that type of relationship among people that you might not necessarily agree with, but you're still in community with. The one thing that like, I feel like the reason why I chose Connected is because I was gonna challenge myself and building community with people that I usually would just literally just go by and ignore. And the thing about it is that capitalism wants us to do that. Capitalism wants us to be very isolated and not really connected and not even willing to understand each other. So like, I feel like, you know, me doing the work that I'm doing, it's like forcing me to be in a space where like, this is more than just like people I went to high school with. This is literally the community that I grew up with. Like people that I see on a daily basis, I might not know their name, but we're in the same space. We share the same areas. We go to the same grocery stores. Like we should have that more interconnected um, relationship with one another because at the end of the day, we're from the same area. And God forbid anything happens to me in my area can indirectly or directly impact you as well. So like, 
this like whole journey or the time that I'm doing the things that I'm doing now is really challenging me to learn how to build community in new ways. And that's why I love my journalism program so much, honestly, is because it's kind of forcing the journalists to actually kind of taking part in community organizing in the sense that we are asking our community, whoever like we're covering, what exactly do you want to see in the news and how can we bring that to you? What is the best way to bring it to you? Is it print? Is it audio? Is it like, what is the best way to give you the information that you need? And I feel like in traditional journalism, you don't really get that. But this program allows you to kind of mesh the ideas of like social organizing and, you know, community journalism and kind of like balancing it out to something that can be really transformative, especially in this time. So yeah. yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I would agree. Um, so this is a question from Patreon. So someone had asked me this question. Um, I did not feel qualified to uh, answer this question um, for similar reasons that you were kind of mentioning that you don't necessarily label yourself like a full-time community organizer at this point. Like mm -hmm. there are sometimes I get questions. I'm just like, oh, I could speak on this, but like, if there are people that are a lot more educated than I am on this topic, please, by all means. Um, so this is a question from Patreon. Um, so uh, they asked, what are some of the limitations of organizing on social media? And um, how have you or how do others overcome those types of challenges? That's actually a really good question. And I, I, I want more people to ask those questions because um, it's like, it's, it's, it's hard because I don't, let me first say that there's some people who do digital organizing that is just like A1 perfection, like really has added to the movement, kind of transformed the way that we can see organizing, especially those who um, might not be as able body as the rest of us to do like in-person physical organizing, like, you know, digital organizing could really be that space, that catalyst to really like move things. Um, but if you are a person that has more resources and time and energy to be able to go and be outside, like not outside necessarily now, but like, I mean, interacting with people on an interpersonal connect um, level, I think that that's something that we really need to like kind of push forward. So it's like one thing to like post a lot of like infographics and to spread awareness. I get that like, you know, we're really taught to think that that's like the best way, but I think it's even more effective if you start looking at with like literally within your community, like where you're at right now, what are the things that people who are struggling where you're at right now need? And how can you, or if you can't, how can you bring other people to, to pull resources together to get those people the things that they need? You know what I mean? And it doesn't have to be a charity case. It has to be a situation where, you know, you're don't giving your time and energy, but then they can also return that too in whatever way that they can. It's like kind of reimagining the way that we interact with each other and what we consider to be community. Like, what is that? You know what I mean? So I think it's really important that people, like, especially in this time, because I know everything is so polarized and everybody has an opinion. It's really important to also tap, tap into yourself and realize, okay, well, I'm doing this, but is there anything I can do with people that, li that literally live next door to me right now. Like right. there's people that live next door to me right now who need things. Is there anything that I personally can do to make sure that they're good? You know right. what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, totally. And you know, as you're talking, um, you know, I feel like I'm having like a aha moment. It's definitely not an aha moment. Cause like, uh, like it, it seems to me one of those things it's like, this is fucking obvious, but, but like someone just says it and it's like, oh my God. But as you're talking about like, you know, 
the need for community organizing, how to do that effectively, and even just challenges of social media. Um, it seems like kind of what you're talking about is the fact, like, you know, let's let's take a look at like white the system of white supremacy and capitalism as a whole as it operates in the US. And we talk about needing to be revolutionary towards that. And I think sometimes it can get confusing or get lost on how to actually be revolutionary. But as mm -hmm. you're talking, it really makes sense that you know, to be revolutionary, you almost have to be the antithesis of the system that you're existing in. And so we live in an individualistic society. We live in a society that um, bases your worth upon how much you produce and how productive you are today, not yesterday, today. Um, and so it seems like so much of what you're talking about is just the direct antithesis of that. Um, do you, would you agree with that? Yeah, that like it, literally, that's what it is. And then the thing about it is that um, I'm very critical of people in general just because I get really, like I'm not even the most well-read or the most well-educated. Like there's other people who are way smarter than me that I look up to that can probably talk about these concepts in a better sense than me. But from the little that I do know and the little knowledge that I, I do have, I know for a fact that like, you know, when it comes to radical or revolutionary work, it doesn't have to be this dramatic, like, oh my God, I'm gonna go, be a mortar for the movement like you know right. like it doesn't need to be that way it's just understanding that like each and every day you're finding your own way to resist against that you're finding your own way to like reimagine what you what existing in a world looks like you know what i mean so it's just like like okay you don't have to be like me you don't have to be like um a person that's going out to the protest every day but like if you're a person in your community right you have to find out ways to be in better community with other people that's how I'm saying it. Like that's revolutionary work. Like actually tapping into the people who need things, and then you know building with your friends or whoever who whoever will, will support you to find ways to meet those needs. It's literally all about connecting with each other on a different level that capitalism doesn't allow us to. But that's the struggle, you know. Like right. it's all a struggle. Like they talk about the struggle towards liberation. It's it's a struggle because the system that we have right now doesn't make it conducive for community work. I mean, real transformative community work. You know what I mean? It, it's, it pushes philanthropy and charity, which is, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but if you understand how the system works, it's literally just a way for the rich to get away with just doing whatever the fuck they want and not anybody questioning them because, oh, I gave away this many thousand, even though I'm gonna get it back in a tax refund, but yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, definitely. Oh my goodness. Oh, Niamra, thank you. Thank you so, so much for um, all of the insights you have been giving us this entire time. Um, I feel like quite honestly, I could just like talk to you for hours and just like hear you and learn so much more from you. But um, obviously, I respect your time. Um, so uh, before we go, I just want to give you the opportunity um, is you know, um, if you wanted to leave people with one last thing or um, if there was something that you could just give some folks at, as advice. And in terms of like, you know, for anyone who is just kind of like, considers themselves to be a regular person, they don't consider themselves to be radical, but they are noticing problems with the system at large. And they're noticing these things that are difficult to, uh, it, it's difficult, let's just put it honestly, it's hard to fucking survive in a system like this. Mm -hmm. So um, do you have any like last pieces of advice for someone who is beginning that journey of unpacking, beginning that, um, you know, that, that moving, that movement forward to not only um, left-wing politics, but really to dismantling an evil system overall. Um, I think 
the one thing I would want to like just let everybody know and is to like practice giving grace not only to yourself but to other people um I think that's one of the biggest things that I was just struggling with is just especially through my time and like my radicalization I was just like I was getting to a point where I was angry which I had a right to I have a full right to be angry like I that's not like to be a negative thing but it's just like I was really truthfully angry and it was getting to the point where I was frustrated with regular working class people for them not getting it and it's like bro like at the end of the day the system is making us conditioned to be this way so we have to not only give ourselves grace but the people that we're in community with grace and understanding that we're literally just trying to exist each and every single day so and like also don't be too intimidated by the jargon and the large words i think the one thing about being in the left is like it's a lot more energy and time and study that it needs to be but it's because like in order for you to really develop a left-wing politic no matter what you want to call yourself you have to consider things from multiple perspectives and that's the beautiful and the struggle thing about it is because you have to literally listen and read and understand how each and every you know thing is intersected and how it's all impacting each other and how it's all just a big piece of a machine and you won't be able to really kind of um drastically or like creatively think about things unless you have those multiple perspectives so like it's hard but also know that it's worth it find ways to learn how to understand these theories like the best way you know like I have my own issues when it comes to like reading and focusing and stuff like that so I literally do not like stress myself out too much about books I I started listening to audiobooks and podcasts and like just tapping into those things like and you know constantly just finding ways to continue to gain more knowledge because there's always more that you can know so and that's the reason why I do the things that I do because there's always more that I can know new perspectives that I can learn so and like take your time and again just please practice some grace for yourself and other people because like that's yeah. all me for real seriously totally, totally. Yeah, I, yeah I hear you thank you oh my goodness Yamra, <laughs> I could go on forever and just thank you for the knowledge and wisdom you've given us this past however long it's been um <laughs> but I just want to thank you so much for your time um uh for folks at home how can we support you how can we follow up with you um I mean honestly I have like a YouTube channel but it's like nothing crazy right now um you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram um, but like, it's nothing, anything, to be honest, I've just been writing. I don't have a lot of things that I'm doing right now actively only because I'm in school and work full time. Sure. But um, yeah, just like follow me on social media. And like, you know, when I have stuff, you can, you know, share and subscribe, stuff like that. But nothing crazy. I'm chilling. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much again for your time. This has been wonderful. And thank you for the folks at home for tuning in once again. This has been another episode of Plus Full Color. And I hope you have a great rest of your day, morning, whatever the fuck time it is where you are. <laughs> Goodbye.